Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'm going to be joined by Phil Palin, and we're going to talk about three easy steps to develop a personal brand. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Phil Palin. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Phil Palin. If you don't know who Phil is, you need to know Phil. He is a branding strategist who helps experts build and grow their personal brands. He's also hosted the Brand Therapy Podcast, and his course is called Content Mastery. It's great to have somebody who teaches mastery on the podcast today. How are you doing today, Phil? I am so good now that my day involves you. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to have you here. And today, Phil and I are going to explore how to develop extreme influence using social. And take us back, Phil, to a little bit of your story. How the heck did you get into helping people build influence? Start wherever you want to start. I can't wait to hear your story. Yeah, I don't think you know this story. In fact, a lot of people don't know. I don't dig up this story unless it's a special occasion. I feel like this is one of those. I am originally from Canada. I studied in the U.S. at Full Sail University in my, well, for my master's degree. And three months before I was set to graduate, I entered a competition to become Charlie Sheen's social media intern at the peak of his craziness in the media in 2011, if you remember the tiger blood stuff. Well, I was hashtag tiger blood Phil. Got together with a few friends, including my greatest colleague now, Lauren, who works with me every single day. 
And we came up with effectively my first ever social media campaign in 2011 to become Charlie Sheen's social media intern. To enter this competition, it was just a single tweet that you would send. And very long story short, I made it from the top, well, I made it from 90,000 to the top 50. Four waves of competition and press. I was very grateful to be Canadian because Canadians get excited when other Canadians are successful in sports or entertainment. So I did over 100 TV and radio interviews, a ton of publications, Entertainment Tonight, Canada. They wrote about it in Ad Week. This effectively launched my career in this competition, even though I didn't win it led to some pretty exciting opportunities to land another internship that was my dream job, and that was to work for Ryan Seacrest. Ah, I was hired as a digital media intern. Cool. Yes, back in the day. But the story doesn't end there. One week before I was set to graduate and start, I had another wave of press. I stepped out of classrooms to like do it radio interviews. And then one of those calls was from the VP at Ryan Seacrest. He said, Phil, are you sitting down? I said, no, but I will. He said, we have some bad news. We have million dollar advertisers threatening to drop because you've stirred up so much media connecting our squeaky clean brand to Charlie Sheen's brand of drugs and strippers. Although we'd love to have you, we cannot hire you. So you're fired before you even started. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, that's the story. I kept my plans. I moved out to LA submitted my resume for jobs and agencies. I didn't get a job. So I thought, well, I have to pay rent next month. So what are my tangible skills that I can, you know, offer to someone that they, something so good that they would pay money for it. And that was designing logos and websites. They weren't great, but it was a place to start. And that's how I got my first client. And that is all I have ever done is work for myself. So when did you move to LA? How long ago was that? 2011. Okay. So kind of lead us down the story a little bit further to what you're doing today, because obviously, so, you know, sometimes I love to say that Phoenixes rise out of the ashes, right? I mean, this is such a great story where like you want this thing and then all of a sudden it doesn't happen. And my guess is it's a good thing it didn't happen because it led to something more, right? So tell us what happened when you went to LA and a little bit more about how you've been able to build this personal brand, you know, for yourself and how you're helping other people do this. It's funny you say that. I called my mentor at Friday at 10 o'clock at night, which was just not an appropriate time to be calling, you know, my literally a teacher from my school. And I said, <laughs> I described what had happened. I had been fired. I said, I think this will be funny a year from now, but it's not funny right now. And Michael, it was, you know, I mean, Phoenix is right. My first three clients were a jewelry designer, a makeup artist, and a real estate agent, all women. And they hired me because I think they saw a combination of someone that they wanted to work with, young and, and excited and eager to get started, but also someone with tangible skills. I talk a lot about this for grads that are, you know, trying to get a job. It's like, yeah, you can go work for someone. You can also consider, you know, take inventory of what your skills are and start something of your own. And so I honestly, I never intended to be an entrepreneur. That was never something I had in my mind. I figured I'd follow the path that I thought I was supposed to do, which is go work for someone and go work up the ranks at a company. And thank God, thank God that this unfolded the way it did because I absolutely love my life. Those first three clients were personal brands. And I thought, wow, there's really a need in the marketplace now for people starting to learn that like people are sometimes synonymous with 
a brand in itself, a personal brand. And I thought, I just don't see anyone really speaking to this particular audience, at least in my little locale in, in LA. You know, those were my first clients. I started to focus a little more there on, on a niche, which was TV hosts. And I worked with a lot of people that were successful on television that were just getting started and trying to land a job. And people though, even though it's widened since those days, my target market, now it's a lot of coaches, professionals, media personalities, sometimes companies. The, the common thread I think in, in, in the work I've done for over a decade is it always comes back to people. Well, and you started this course, obviously. So content mastery, tell me a little bit about the, the, the role of content in all of this. I'm just curious. Oh, absolutely. I mean, come on, if anyone knows this, it's you. The role of content now in showing up online, I think we juggle two versions of ourselves, right? We have the in-person experience, which nowadays, after what we just went through the last few years, we know is a privilege, you know, to get to meet someone face-to-face. -face. We have this version of ourselves, right? This in-person experience. We also juggle the online version of ourselves. So I'm really interested in this idea of how we can achieve consistency between who we are in real life, what we say, content, how we say it, personality, juggling or, or really creating a synergy between this in-person experience, this real life version of you, and the online version of ourselves. So to bring it back to this idea of content, really content is how we show authority. It's how we build trust. It's how we stay on people's radar every single day. And that's the power of it. And I think, especially for busy people, we need systems and we need strategies and we need ways to not overcomplicate this or be paralyzed by perfection. And that is really the area, I think, of focus for me across several, you know, a handful of industries. All right. Well, let's address this question because there are some people listening right now who are like, I don't know if I want my personal brand out there and I don't even know why I should have my personal brand out there. There's probably people that are skeptical that are either entrepreneurs, founders of companies, or maybe even people that are working for a company, but they have the right personality and they want to go out there and represent the company as the face of the company. Talk to me about why personal branding in this era that we're in right now, right? Which we're recording this in late 2022. Why is it so important now? Persuade the skeptical. Oh, sure. I'll ha I'm happy to persuade. I mean, I'll go as far as saying, I don't think you get a choice on whether or not you have a personal brand. If someone is typing your name into the search field in LinkedIn or in Google, what comes up? Ideally, you potentially having control over that is personal branding. I wouldn't even say that you get to decide. I mean, maybe a decade ago, this was a luxury, but now it's not. It's really, I would go so far as to say it's, it's, it's expected, right? That you have some, even if a minimal online presence Without one, I'd say you're at a disadvantage in a lot of ways. You know, I always thought it was funny that Trader Joe's, the grocery brand, obviously not a personal brand, but they stayed off social media for years and it became a joke. Trader Joe's is still not on social media and they eventually caved. I feel like if Trader Joe's caves, then you probably have to cave too as a person or the time will come, I think, when you can't beat them, join them. I think it's just really exciting the opportunities that exist for people to show up online, to build your business, to have fun, you know, creating authority and, cre you know, and, and showcasing what you know and inspiring other 
people to take action on it. So yeah, I don't think personal branding is a choice anymore. Okay. So let's assume you're correct. What's the upside when it's done well? Ooh, there are a lot of upsides when personal branding is done well. I would say the idea of opening your inbox and people getting in touch with you because they're excited to take that first step in your business could be a product or a service. But essentially, if someone has fallen in love, maybe they're not quite fallen in love yet, but if they feel convinced enough that what they've consumed online resonates, is exactly what they need to get an email from someone that it says, yep, you know, let's take this conversation from, from online to off. How do we get in touch? What's the first step? I'd like to work together. I think arriving at that a lot quicker than, than pre-social media era is pretty exciting. And I would describe that as an upside. It could be not necessarily, obviously, people booking you as clients or buying your product. It could also be people joining your email list. I had, it's funny you ask this. I had someone email me yesterday, reply to an email blast. I thought it was a stranger. And this person said, Phil, I've been following you for over a year. And I'm finally ready to take the step, you know, to do a brand order, to, to work with you. What's the next step? I was like, wow, that person that I might think is a stranger is actually someone that's been watching my every move online or not, maybe not every move, but enough moves to feel confident in my ability to help them. That is an upside. And it's my goal that my clients, you know, experience that as much as possible. When I think about some of the people that have been on this podcast that have really strong personal brands, and I think about the things that they've been able to achieve. If you have a strong personal brand, you could write a book and that book could be a bestseller. You could launch a podcast and there's all of a sudden a lot of people that want to listen to that. You could start something on YouTube and all of a sudden they want to watch it, right? They want to be part of it. They want to share the person, you know, social media examiner is not a personal brand. Okay. Social media examiner is a brand brand, but the more that I let my face and my voice be part of what we do at Social Media Examiner, the more people are interested in us because people connect with humans more than they connect with brands. Would you agree with that, Phil? Yes, 100%. I, insofar as saying Social Media Examiner isn't a personal brand, I think a lot of us can connect faces and humans to this incredible brand that you've built including you. So when we're branding companies, if someone's listening and they're going, ah, oh, this doesn't apply to me, I'm not a personal brand. Oh, honey, it still applies to you. There are three, generally three unique opportunities for companies to humanize. And might I add that it can be harder as a company to grab and keep people's attention when you're fighting for social media or you know, screen real estate against people, against humans. But we see most companies humanize in three ways. Leadership, people at the top, the CEO of a brand, right? To tell that story, to use that person, the founder, you know, the expert, the person that started it all as a humanizing agent. You've also got your customers. We've seen this, you know, more traditionally, customers, you know, telling their story on, on social media, going into detail on the types of people that buy from you and sharing their story. And then you've got, this one often gets forgotten about the people on the inside, employees or contractors or people that work for you can actually become brand advocates. It's probably a, a topic for a whole other conversation. Really, I mean, that can be incredibly powerful when you're able to keep the people on the inside happy and proud to advocate for your brand. Those are three groups of people that companies should keep in mind. Love that. So, 
Thank you, first of all, for exploring this with me a little bit. Now, what I would love to do is talk about your strategy or your process, right? Because obviously you coach, you guide, you mentor individuals and maybe all sorts of different people, frankly, through a process, right? So talk to me a little bit about at a high level, like what's your strategy? What's your process for people that want to maybe learn now? How in the world do we do this? Sure. I'll give it at a high level, but I'll get specific and, and pretty, pretty granular and quickly so people know very specifically what these steps are. They're the steps I follow myself, regardless of, of industry or brand. I typically break the branding process down into three steps. Position your brand, build something to show for it, and then promote it. Sticker for sale, sign out front of that house that you take to market to sell. So let's start at position. This is where we you know, pick the plot of land where the house is going to go. Really, to position your brand, I have a simple formula for this. Something you love to do paired with something others need and are willing to spend money on. Those are really the two variables. If you can plug into that uh, equation, then I think you set yourself up for success. Something you love to do paired with something others need and are willing to spend money on. When we do this with clients, we dig in deeper with questions, self-reflective questions, and really just giving someone the opportunity to think like, what is it I want, you know, from this lifetime, like really take a step back and go, is what I'm doing every single day satisfying for me? I love seeing clients think in that headspace and almost like sometimes I have to give them permission to actually think about what they want and dream a little bit. And I love that part of this exercise of positioning. So let's dig in on this positioning concept a little bit. You mentioned do what you love and do what others need, if I heard that correctly. Can you kind of maybe dig in on this a little bit, explain more about what this means and how we could apply something like this? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is really the formula that I reflect on. It's one that was born. I told you my story. So it's one that was born from the very beginning of my business, landing in LA, giving my resume to agencies that didn't hire me. I thought, okay, what is it I'm good at, right? What is it I love to do? And if it's something I love to do, then I'll continue doing it. I'll enjoy doing it and I'll get better at it. That's really, I think, a handful of questions to think about, right? I, I was in a position, I found myself in a position, yes, of urgency, but also of excitement and that I could actually sit and reflect and go, there's a lot of possibilities right now. So how do I have a handful of parameters in mind that help me narrow it down? So questions like, what do you love to do? What are you good at? What are you going to get better at? You know, the more you do it. Michael, sometimes I'll ask people this question, if you can't summarize your brand in one sentence, then answer this question. If you won the lottery today, what is it you would do with your time tomorrow? And so everyone has an answer to that question. I hear a lot, travel, spend time with my family, spend more time collecting wine. I heard that one last week. And, and so I think this question will hopefully get you in the right headspace of self-reflecting on what it is you love to do. My mission at the end of the day, or maybe at the end of my life, is that hopefully I've changed some lives for the better and positioned people to do something they absolutely love to do as a career. 
So that's really that first portion of what is it I love to do. That on its own can be just a hobby. The second part of the variable is absolutely essential to think about and maybe do a little bit of research. Research can be as simple as asking some people around you for feedback, not just family. But the second part is what do people need and are willing to spend money on? People don't spend money on wants. At the moment, someone is in the middle of a transaction, they're buying something, in their head they've convinced themselves that that is a need. People spend money on things that they need. Yeah, that's the formula. Diving in a little bit more detail, hopefully prompting some questions. Yeah, you've prompted a couple of questions in my mind. So first of all, do what you love versus what you're good at. Let's talk about this a little bit because you might be a really good writer, but maybe you really love audio, right? So let's talk like, you know, my friend uh, Cliff Ravenscraft talks about like, there's just zones of genius versus all this stuff. You know what I mean? So is it what we're good at that people want to pay money for? Or is it what we love? Because I've seen so many people that are really good at something and people want to pay them for that, but that's not what they love. So let's distinguish that a little bit. I agree. And I love that you referenced Cliff. One of my first conferences that I spoke at was over in the UK and he and I spoke together. He's wonderful. I'm totally with Cliff, and I think I'm with you on this one. I think what you love is more important than what you're good at, okay? Because, again, we're using this moment to self-reflect and set ourselves up for success. And doing something you're good at doesn't necessarily account for something, at least that I would measure as success, if it doesn't bring you joy. Right. If it isn't something you love, I think the more important variable there is something you love because the more you do it, the better you'll get. And I've seen this in my own career. So even if we feel like we're not as good at it as the thing we're good at, and this is the quandary, right? Like I'm really good at this and everybody wants this, but I I love this, but I'm not very good at it yet. You would still go for that really because in the long term, you're going to stick with it, right? Versus something that you're eventually going to burn out if you don't love what you're doing. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes, that is what you're hearing me say. And I, and I think, yes, school can help us. Courses can help us. I think even education, media and education have become so democratized now that I think, you know, we can learn from watching a YouTube video, what we used to have to sit in a university classroom for. And I think it's really exciting. So if it's something you absolutely love to do, then my hope is that that curiosity and excitement and knowing that this is something you can monetize or something you can do as a career is going to push you to focus and get better at that. I think everyone can. Connecting that with what people need and they're willing to spend money on sounds not easy, right? Because you said there's research you can do and stuff, but do you have a couple tips on how people, because like some people listening right now are probably like, I'm with you both and I'm doing something I'm good at, but I don't love. And I would really love to do more of what I love, but I don't know if anybody needs it. And I don't know if they're willing to spend money on it. <laughs> how do I connect those dots? How do I find that information? I think those dots are the entrepreneurial path described, and I'm not sure they ever change. There's always a bit of a risk right? Setting yourself up or creating your services menu for the first time or launching your first product. So there's no guaranteed blueprint or formula for success. There's definitely some good uh, resources out there. But I would say, I think sometimes we overestimate 
what's involved with research. Research at a very simple level could be talking to 10 or 20 people around you. Is this a product you would use? Is this a service you would hire? You know, is this something that, that you would pay for? Would you pay this much? If not, how much would you pay? And I think research, honestly, is just asking people around you uh, to get some real-time feedback, people that are not afraid to be honest with you. That's why I tend to avoid family for this exercise, because <laughs> <laughs> that's not always an accurate read. Right. Okay. So the first step of the process is really what you referred to as positioning, right? Which is really like figuring out um, what you're really, what you love doing and ideally, if you're good at it and you love it, that would be the perfect match, right? Like you're, you, you, you love it. Yes. You're pretty good at it. And people have told you, hey, you should sell this because I would buy it. You know, what's the next step in your process once you've figured out your positioning? Sure. And thanks for spending time on that stage. I think hopefully that's prompting lots of thoughts. Hopefully people are thinking about this, you know, for themselves. The second stage is the one I find most exciting, and that's the build. And this is where I spend a lot of time with my clients. If I had to say any one of these things was my specialty, it would be this stage. When we're ready to build something to show for the brand, uh, typical steps for this would be photography, brand identity, and website. Sometimes there's a few other elements in here, but 99% of the time, these are the three main elements of building a brand. And maybe in that website category, I'd include updating your social media profiles as part of that, that exercise, the new look and feel. So photography is typically where I start, different from other people who do branding. I think photography is your secret weapon online. I think photography is really the effort you put into showing up in real life, outfit, hair, makeup. The online version of that is now your photography. So if you're LinkedIn profile photo is photo from a barbecue, family barbecue 10 years ago, pixelated, cropped, horrible. Then that's like showing up to a wedding in pajamas. I think, you know, users nowadays are pretty savvy. And I think putting some effort into that and thinking about, okay, how can I show up online? Each instance of that is like a little mini soldier out there fending and representing you. And so are fending for you, I think. And so photography is hugely important. Ideally, we can have a quick look at your photos on your website or on your social media and get a little bit of a sense of what you're about. That's typically what I aim to do. No standard, boring headshots that you'd find on a park bench promoting a real estate agent. Instead, I typically share this piece of advice with clients or and or with the photographer, I say, if you're going to be photographed for Vogue magazine, what photos would they take to tell your story or to, I should say, to show your story? Would they capture you in your office with paper all around? Would they capture you out in nature because that's what inspires you. Really think about an environment that we can capture in your photos that reinforce who you are and why people should care. Obviously, it can be paired with text and a lot of different contexts, but that's, that's some advice on the photography. Brand identities, definitely more than a logo. Nowadays, it's good to have a handful of versions of your logo, depending on where they're going to show up in a physical space in your office. Right now I'm traveling, but normally you'd see my P up above my head in my home office. You've also got letterhead, stationery. Those things in print still exist. You've got email signatures, websites, digital versions of your logo. So really think about how are you set up to have your branding in all of those places. Colors, 
typography, and I'd say consideration on print and web, how your brand design is going to show up. And then really, just to round it off, it all comes together when you're working on a website. We see photography, we see copy, you know, some organization of the brand. I think putting together a beautiful website is great and it's exciting, but the exercise of creating a website is almost more important than the output, than the final product, because it helps you organize the way you describe yourself. It helps you organize the access points to you, how you make yourself available, right? For people to hire you or purchase your product. Organizing all of that is a really exciting kind of exercise. So that's typically, those are the steps of the build. I like this. And maybe you can share an example of a client that you've worked with and kind of how through the examples you're talking about, what kind of an impact it makes. Because some people are like, wow, okay, this is not what I was expecting. You know, photography and logos and and website stuff seems interesting. And it definitely seems important, but like, can you think of a client or even if someone who is not a client who you think is doing a good job at this so people can kind of look at this and maybe understand this because we're presenting this in audio form. We don't have the visual aids in front of us, but it might be helpful for someone to kind of imagine what something like that could look like. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for this opportunity. I have over 60 examples on my website, personal branding and a few companies on their examples. And I'm going to give you one that includes a testimonial. I try to for every single project finish the project with an actual testimonial that that person has given me sometimes six months out, three months out, sometimes a year out, because I am extremely focused, you know, or or really, I really care that someone sees a positive result of going through this exercise with me. I can't do any of this until I'm crystal clear on someone's business school. You better believe that I follow up with them and say, hey, this was your goal. Are you closer to that goal? And it's funny you describe, you know, some some brands are inherently more visual, right? And others are not. So when I told, I'm going to, the example I'll give is Kate Payne, who is a uh, an executive coach. When I told her, Kate, as part of this project, we have to get you photographed. She was like, no, that's my least favorite thing in the world. Can we do everything but that? And I said, absolutely not. So she went along with it, took some convincing. We got some of the most beautiful photos of her actually at home, home office, captured her in her environment. We had tapped a few people to be in the, to, to seven and be in some of the photos to show her in her element, in her environment, giving a presentation and uh, made some decisions with her color, her typography, created a really simple, minimalist, you know, beautiful monogram type logo that is something that won't go out of style anytime soon. I think if I've done my job properly, then what I give to someone as an output of that is timeless. And Kate emailed us about six months after working together and she said, guys, I just have to tell you My business is through the roof. It's at least tripled from last year. And there's absolutely no other explanation for this than my website, which is really, you know, an instance of all of these elements we worked on coming together. People were, you know, she described that people would land on her website, know exactly what she was about, know exactly how to hire her and for what. And so by the time that email landed in her inbox, it was more or less, when can we get started? And that's awesome. That's like, 
makes me really happy. Absolutely love that. And that, this is, I'm excited about the last part of your process because obviously this is where the social marketing side of this comes in, but share a little bit about, so we've got a purpose, okay? Let's assume we've established that, right? And our positioning really is, is what we're talking about, right? And then we've gone ahead and hopefully gone through some of this, a building stage with this photography and identity and the website. Now what's the next part of the process? Yes, this is the part that you're going to get the most excited about. This is social media. Really, it's it's promoting your brand in any way that makes sense for you and for what you've created. I'll say with my focus on personal branding, yes, I do companies and startups occasionally. Um, social media is absolutely our focus. I think in terms of having control uh, over how to promote your brand without having to spend a ton of money to do it. I don't work with a lot of big corporate clients with cushy budgets. Most of my clients are people. Not all of them love social media or every social media platform. So we'll explore a little bit there when it comes to choosing the right platform for someone to be on. But yeah, social media is definitely, for, for me, definitely the, the greatest focus in this final stage of the process, which is promoting your brand, sticking your first sale sign out front of that house. It's always my goal that someone, rather than being average on 10 social media platforms nowadays, be a rock star on three, or I would say even better yet, you know, be a superstar on one. I've got some examples of some clients and even some colleagues that have gone through this path differently. I, for one, was active on every social media platform and for a long time was not really a superstar on any of them. I, I started to kind of balance where do I enjoy creating with where does my audience enjoy consuming? And I've landed on my priority platforms, YouTube, Instagram, Pinterest is actually up there for me. When I think about someone focusing on one platform to start, I think of my friend Lucas O'Keefe. His handle is the Lucas O'Keefe and grew his Instagram over 200,000 followers in a year and a half. Only now is he starting to branch out and think about a podcast and a YouTube channel. He really has built an awesome audience very quickly by going all in on one platform. So these are the kind of things we think about and talk about. I thought, since you asked for examples, I gave you a few on the fly. But these are the things we think about in this final stage, really. How do we put our best foot forward and how do we get the right traffic and eyeballs on what we've just created? Well, yeah, let's talk a little bit about like, let's just say somebody doesn't know which platform they should be on. Do you have any wisdom or guidance as to how to decide which platform to be on? Absolutely. Absolutely. In particular, because I work with very busy working professionals, when we make the decision to do something, we have to make sure that it's sustainable. It can't just be something you start and then end up quitting because it's not satisfying for you. So I think the first thing you have to think about are parameters. There are two. Time. How much time do you have per week to spend building your audience online? as well as goals. So two of the most important parameters, time, how much time do you have? Goals, what are your business goals? That has got to be a consideration before choosing you know, a social media platform. What are your business goals? And is it gonna make sense? That's your goal. Is it gonna make sense to be active on this platform that we're considering? I think also people tend to focus a little too much on where your audience is. I posted on Instagram a few days ago, Nowadays, 2022, 
late 2022 at the time that we're recording this, I think your audience is everywhere. I don't think, honestly, now it's like, oh, you know, TikTok, it's for young people. Like that is so passe. You know, your audience is everywhere now. So we need to balance, yes, where your audience is, where you can cultivate an audience with where you enjoy creating. Where do you enjoy creating? What platforms do you log on and consume content because you like being there? Probably a good sign that it's a platform that you might want to start creating on as well. So those are a few considerations. I'd say time, goals, where you enjoy creating, where your audience enjoys consuming. And the last piece of advice on that would be don't try to be active on every single social media platform unless you're like Gary Vee and you've got a whole content team following you around everywhere you go. You probably can't excel on 10 platforms. So choose one, two, maybe three to focus on. So let's say we've chosen a couple and we've decided we like creating content, maybe long form content. So we're going to go with YouTube, for example. Yes. Or we like creating short form content. So we're going to go with TikTok or Reels. What kind of content do we make and how do we establish our influence with the content? Do you understand where I'm going with that? I do. I actually love that you gave an example of long form content. I would say for every creator or every personal brand, if you can throw in the mix at least one form of long-form content creation. It could be a podcast. Actually, podcasting for me comes before YouTube video planning, if you can believe it. So podcasting really is my long-form method of content creation. It gives me half an hour to 45 minutes with my colleague, Lauren, to brainstorm and, and, and talk in a non-scripted way about something we're excited about in that particular moment and hopefully something other people want to listen to. You know, that's really where it starts. We take that, let's say, half an hour episode, upload it on otter.ai, get it transcribed for free. And from there, she'll take it and turn it into a blog post. She likes to write. I do not really like to write. I will take it and edit it, restructure it a little bit, and turn it into a YouTube video which is my area of joy, I would say, in, in the social media landscape for us. So to take something that exists from an unscripted half an hour conversation and turn it into a YouTube script, I can do that in half the time it would take me to sit down and write a script from scratch, including the research and just the organization of the ideas. So to answer your question, I would say make sure you've got at least one version of long form content creation. You, you know, it could be YouTube as your origin. It could be podcasting. It could be blogging, just something that's going to enable you to chop it up in, you know, easier when it goes on other social media platforms. I'm able to, for example, to take that YouTube video with three to five points that I drill home. I post twice a week to YouTube now, Wednesday and Saturday, and then uh, I can easily take that content and throw it up in three different ways on Instagram over however long, you know, it could be an Instagram carousel. It could be an Instagram reel. I could tell that little lesson and story on feed with a video or photo or pop it into my stories. Lots of options, but really it'll make your life easier, especially if you're busy to have one form of longer form content creation that's going to enable you to repurpose and splice later on. I don't know if the three P's was something we've already discussed, but I know it was something we talked about in our pre-call. But the bigger question that I've got is personal brand, a lot of times these days is actually being built almost exclusively on the social platforms, right? Because 
so much of the content that is shared on the social platforms does not allow you to link out to your website, right? Obviously, you can do Linktree on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter or whatever and allow all these different destinations to be there. But I would imagine some of the stuff that you are doing in these earlier steps, like the brand identity and the photography stuff might work its way into the content that you're producing on the social platforms. True, not true. Help me understand that a little bit. Absolutely true. We did touch on the three P's already. That's just to quickly review priorities, your priorities, business and time, obviously, or parameters, I should say, business goals and time. Priorities, you, where you like creating, where the audience likes consuming, and then platforms, just really taking some energy to narrow down to three or to one, not to 10. Yes, to answer your question, certainly, and I can probably give an example with my YouTube, some of my best, best YouTube videos in terms of performance come from me screenshotting a question that a real person, client or viewer or Instagram DMer has sent me. And so I have a folder. It's the only folder allowed on my desktop. I'm allowed to keep it there with, it's called questions. And it's the first place I go when I need to plan a new YouTube video. It's the first place we look when we need to get a, a YouTube script on, or get a rather a podcast episode in the calendar or find an expert for, for that episode. Super, super helpful to have a folder called questions where you add screenshots of things that people are actually wondering and people are actually asking you. Yeah, I love that because especially if you're in the business of creating and selling information, right? If you can showcase your expertise by answering other people's questions, it's helpful for everyone who's watching, but it also kind of imputes in you a little bit of wisdom because you are hopefully answering their question in a way that someone else resonates with and they're going to want to go back and find out, well, what does this person do? Do they offer consulting, coaches, courses, all those kinds of things, right? Right, right. And I can't, you know, necessarily guarantee that, you know, the video that's, or the blog post that's designed around a question that someone has, I can't guarantee it's going to go viral. I often describe to our clients that are just getting started on YouTube, I can't guarantee it, but all of my videos, just as a personal testimony, all my videos that have performed the best are rooted or really founded in a question that someone asked me. Well, I can't guarantee that the video is going to have viral success. It's a little bit like playing the lottery, right? We can't guarantee that you're going to win, but we can maximize the chance by playing and showing up. I think especially for platforms like YouTube, you really have to be committed to posting at least once a week. I started once a week. When I felt I was ready, I went up to twice a week. I'm not ready to go to three times a week. I'm going to sit at twice a week. That's enough for me while juggling, you know, client responsibilities and other things that I do. But yeah, you got to play to win. You got to play to win. And I think that goes with pretty much every social media platform. If it's something you seriously want to grow, then you need to put in time to show up. And that's not just posting. That's also dedicated time and not just consuming. That's also dedicated time to hanging out in the comments section of your own posts or videos and also going to others and making time to create those new connections one-to-one. -one. Very, very important. Phil, if people want to discover more about the services that you offer, is there a certain website you want to send them to? And also, if they want to connect with you on the socials, is there a preferred platform that you want to send them to? Absolutely. Because you're special, 
I'm creating a page on my website for you, philpallon.co slash SME. Thank you for that idea, Michael. That was, I'm not taking credit for that. That was totally you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm going to put some resources on this page specific for this amazing audience. I've got lots of freebies, single page, you know, worksheets to help position your brand. I've got eBooks, my best performers on this page. It's a hundred evergreen content ideas. I created these myself and I get a lot of joy sharing them, sprinkle them around the internet and sharing them with people quite literally all over the world, completely free. Yeah, on my website, I've got info on my services. I've got blog posts, my favorite social media platforms, as you can probably tell are YouTube and Instagram. If you took the time to listen to this, pop me a DM over on Instagram. I would love to meet you and, and thank you for your time and for your attention. Well, and tell everybody what your handle is on Instagram if they want to look you up. Oh, that's a good idea. It's at Phil Palin, just my first and last name, all one word. Yeah, and Palin is P-A-L-L-E-N for those of you that are listening to the audio. Phil Palin, thank you so much for coming on and answering all my questions. We're better because of it. It's been such a pleasure. I appreciate you beyond words. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 535. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.